We'll get started this morning. Wow, that was quick. Good job. Welcome, welcome. Great to see everybody this morning on this beautiful day. I want to welcome you to Gateway Baptist Church. For those watching us online, we're so glad you're able to worship with us this morning as well. Just got a couple of announcements as we get going this morning. Just as a reminder, uh, be praying, which I'll pray a little later, but just be praying for our pastor and his family and the Presleys. Uh, they're heading back from the West uh, this week. He's been out for a few weeks getting to enjoy the beauty of God's creation and at the Tetons and Yellowstone. And um, again, I just think it's so neat how God planned this trip for them on the preface of, of them about us to start into our new series in Genesis that our pastor has spent the past few weeks just seeing the glory of God's creation. Amen. Just the splendor of his majesty. Some of you may have seen the posts just where they have been able to hike and walk and God is just really downloading a lot integrity so we're very excited about that so be praying for them as they travel back just a couple of announcements first is just a reminder um, we get to experience a serve evening at capitol heights middle school next monday night i apologize i thought the thing was already up on the website but it will be tomorrow for us to register so it's just an opportunity we've been working with capitol heights middle school for over 10 years we've got a great relationship with the principal we uh seth and megan rodebeck so we're going to pray for them later as well lead the ministry called hopes that is uh, very impactful in that community, in the school. So we have an opportunity next Monday night, August 7th at 5.30 p.m. Uh, to be able to serve the grounds, to prayer walk it, to pick up trash, to just do a lot of cleaning, whatever they need to prepare for the new school year. So tomorrow um, afternoon, uh, there will be an opportunity for you to register online for us to know how many are coming because we do provide God's food. Chick-fil-A will be there. So... Um, Guys, for those that don't know our Pastor Grady, he owns stock in Chick-fil-A. He loves Chick-fil-A. So we're going to have Chick-fil-A for everybody and just a wonderful time to worship the Lord, walk the grounds, pray for the teachers, the classrooms, and then to clean it up as they prepare for the new school year. So please register this week in preparation for that. Also, for those visiting with us uh, today, man, if it's your first time, a special greeting to you. If you've been visiting with us the past few weeks, we're so happy you're here. And if you want to get to know a little bit more about us, we're going to have a lunch called the Discovery Gateway Lunch, Sunday, August 20th, immediately after the service. Um, we'll give you directions to go to our pastor's house over here in Sturbridge at Pastor Grady's and Julia's, where they serve a wonderful lunch and then just have an opportunity to share and get together and just hear a little bit more about Gateway and our DNA and what God is doing here among our fellowship. And there's also an opportunity to uh, register on the website at gatewaybaptist.com, and there's details there about that as well. So just wonderful opportunities for you to connect and get involved. So, so glad you're here. Let's stand and prepare our hearts before the Lord to worship him through song. I was reading this week uh, through the prophet Isaiah and came upon chapter 12 and just it really was wonderful and just want to declare this hymn of praise as we declare this morning and prepare our hearts. Isaiah chapter 12. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For although you are angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. 
Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's worship the Holy One this morning.
Psalm 130, this next song, I Will Wait For You. It's today we're going to be, as uh, Rick's going to come in a little while and preach, we're going to be looking at lament and confession as in our prayer series. From Psalm 130, we read this. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's sing this this morning. I will wait for you. Till my soul is satisfied. 
Salvation. Oh, 
we praise you this morning. God, thank you that we can even make that declaration by your grace, by your mercy, because of your great love. God, you are faithful and good and just and holy and righteous. And Lord, thank you that as we just sang, Lord, you're returning. The victory is won. And Lord, that's why in difficult situations and trials and circumstances that are weighing on us, Lord, we can look to you and trust you and say, it is well with my soul. You are our source of life. You're the bread of life. You're the living water. Lord, we just thank you and praise you this morning that we can be here and exalt the name of Jesus regardless of what's going on outside these walls. You are worthy of our praise. We know that you are sovereign, you are providential, and you are in control. And we can say it is well. God, just thank you that we can come together as your family, that you delight in this gathering of your children as we worship and exalt the name above all names, the name of Jesus, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And that's why we come each week, God, with confidence, able to bring these petitions before you and to stand in the gap and intercede for individuals, for other churches, for missionaries across the world, for situations in our own body, Lord, because you're good and you hear our prayers and we entrust them to you to act accordingly to your will for your glory and our good. So, Lord, today we do thank you so much for our Pastor Grady and his family and the Presleys that they've been able to spend the past few weeks out in the beauty of your creation. Lord, we pray your continued protection over them. And as the Presleys are traveling back today and as the Smiths are traveling back in the next couple of days, Lord, we pray you continue to guide and direct their steps, watch over and protect them. Your angels surround them and guard and watch over them, Lord. I just pray as Grady comes back, Lord, that he is refreshed and energized to preach your word, to shepherd us in a few weeks, Lord, to begin teaching about the glory of your creation and just your amazing splendor and majesty, God. But just, again, Lord, fill them afresh with your spirit and keep them safe as they travel back to us. And, Lord, we thank you so much with the partnership that we have in this community with the public schools, especially Capitol Heights Middle. And we thank you, Lord, for Seth and Megan Rodebeck's faithful service and launching Hope's ministry, Lord. And we just pray, God, you continue to move as they're preparing for a new school year with um, Tuesday morning Bible studies and uh, tutoring program that they do throughout the year, God. We pray you continue to give them wisdom and discernment and direction, Lord, and just continue to prepare the way on which students are to come, that you would draw these young people to you, Lord, as they bring the gospel each week and as they help these students study and to learn academics and to open the door for the gospel. We pray you continue to provide financially and just all the resources they need, Lord. And, and we do pray, Lord, next Monday that we would be a light to that community. They would see us working and fellowshipping and serving that community, Lord, because of you and your glorious name. And, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for our extended family here in Montgomery, the one body of Christ in Montgomery. And we pray for the congregation downtown, Pastor Jason Powell and Jesus City Church. We thank you, Lord, so much for their ministry in the downtown community and reaching those in that area and discipling and bringing the lost into their fold to bring the gospel. We pray you give Jason and his team wisdom and discernment, Lord, as he leads. Continue to protect he and his family, he and Mary and their kids. We thank you for them bringing them here, Lord, a couple years ago, all the way from California, how you have handpicked Montgomery for them to come and to serve. So we pray you bless their congregation, continue to draw people there to yourself, Lord. And God, thank you. We can pray for our family across the sea. And Lord, this morning, we thank you for the, the Wewa people of Valladapar, Colombia. And Lord, there's a missions team now there meeting 
and sharing in the different community of the Wewa people amongst the teenagers, amongst the young people. God, we pray you would give them wisdom and the energy and vision they need that as they minister the gospel, that many teenagers would come to saving faith. And Lord, we have heard through their ministry that there has been a harvest and that some have come to faith. And we pray that those teens would uh, grow in their faith as they're being discipled, that they would have boldness to be able to share with their other family members and their friends and those in their community, that we would see a harvest among the Wewa people in Columbia, Lord. We thank you for these missionaries. Give them strength, good health, and wisdom on how they are to carry this out. And God, we thank you for just your goodness and provision. We thank you, Lord, for the offering that's been given online today or in the, in the box. We thank you for being so faithful to provide for us. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give a small portion back to you. Continue to bless it. Give wisdom to our leadership to be good stewards of your resources and what you desire to do in and through us here at Gateway. And lastly, Lord, we thank you for our brother Rick. We thank you, Lord, that you have called him to be an elder here at this church, to shepherd us, to love on us, to teach us. Lord, just fill him afresh with your spirit this morning as he comes to give the word. And, uh, Lord, encouraging us about prayers of lament and confession and how so important those are, Lord, as we connect with you. Continue to give him strength and wisdom as he comes to give your word, Lord. We thank you for his faithfulness to serve in this capacity and his willingness to come and shepherd us in this way. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify you. Continue to do your work. May your kingdom come, and may your will be done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kids, first through fourth, you can follow Miss Nikki out the door, and you will be with her and myself and get to spend some time together. All right. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Um, half the church. First, uh, before we get started, uh, I want to welcome our visitors. I met a number of families here who um, are new this morning, who are military. So I want to say uh, thank you uh, for joining us, and uh, great to have you. And I hope uh, this morning will be an encouragement to you. And I think I told one family back there, I said, uh, don't, make, don't make this sermon your decision whether you come back or not. Don't, don't do one sermon. So, um, This morning, um, my heart, uh, first of all, was overwhelmed with the singing this morning of some of, of what we sang. Um, it is well is one of my hymns, favorite hymns. And part of that is because I think the way I, I am wired... Is this a little too close? I feel like I'm getting some feedback. Um, I think it's the way I'm wired in the sense that, uh, as your, my wife will tell you, I'm the emotional one. She's the kind of level-headed one. And, um, and as I think about that, as I think about what God has done, it's overwhelming. And yet, as I look around, uh, the people I interact with, the, 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 the losses in my own life, there's sometimes this sense of an overwhelming grief. And I don't know if you can identify with that, but that overwhelming grief of people who have meant in my life, have poured into my life, who are now gone, but also others who are, were tragically lost before they ever came to faith. And as I was thinking about this, the, the confession part, um, I, 
I don't want to be in a place that's always chipper. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. I don't, I want to be in a place where there's some solemnity, I guess that's the word. I'll have to ask Jeff if he can help me out. He's the literature guy. And uh, solemnity, soberness, some weightiness to the pain and suffering in our lives. And the reason I chose those songs, I was asking, I said, I, I, I sent Justin, I said, hey, could we sing these? Because I think in some way they, they cause me to ponder the brokenness of our lives. But, but, they don't leave us there. They don't leave us there. Yes, we're broken. Yes, we're, we've got sin that's in our lives. But we have a God who loves us and cares for us and redeems us, sanctifies us, and brings him to himself. So this morning we're going to see that from Psalm 32. But we're doing a series of pr on prayer. And today we'll be primarily on confession. I'm going to pull in lament into that. But I want to speak particularly about the idea of what does it mean to confess before God? What does it mean to be repentant? And I'm going to put up on, up on the screen, uh, again, our definition that, that, that Greg and I have kind of been talking through, or he, he wrote and made a little few tweaks, but put it up there again. Prayer, this is, a, this is our definition. Prayer is our comprehensive, continuous communion with our Creator and Savior God about, about what? Everything. This is key. Everything in life. Decisions, ideas, conversation, brokenness, everything. In faith. In faith, believing what? What do we believe? That God what? He hears us and he responds, right? Through his word. Yes? He communicates to us through his word. So in faith, believing that he does that, and therefore exchanging our will for exchanging our will for God's will in order that he might be glorified and we might experience the greatest joy. And last week, Greg's sermon was an exhortation to praise God. Praise God and give him thanks for all he's done and all that he all that he is and all that he has done for us. We praise, we praise, he said, what we love, we praise what we value, we praise what we treasure. Amen. Yes? My wife and I celebrate this coming week our 23rd anniversary. And I was just thinking about that and the example of how do we treasure our spouses. We treasure our spouses by wanting to what? I want to be with you. I want to, I want to, with my spouse, I would, with my wife, I want to what? Raise her up. I want to speak of the, the, the things that she does and just what a blessing that she is. And think about it in terms of our relationship with God. We give him the praise for what? For who he is. We serve a glorious God. And that's why we gather on Sundays, right? You're singing and you're praising and you're exalting the one whom you love. Yes? Amen. I hope that's the case. 
Greg made this comment. He said, praise is the natural joyful response of the Christian and God's saving and sustaining grace flowing from a heart that is quickened and enlivened or awakened by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that exalts to declare the glory of God and who He is and what He has done on our behalf. And as we do that, we see who God is and we magnify Him and we give Him the glory. And yet, and yet, we cry out, help. Lord, do you see how broken this world is? This week... um, Someone came to me and said uh, their, their neighbors, their 12-year-old daughter had taken her life. Chaplain, what do I do? How do I speak to my daughters about that? I, I can't help, again, can't help but being totally broken over that. Why? Well, for, for one, because I have an 11-year-old daughter. And as I'm going in prayer, my personal prayer time, a prayer with the Lord, just overwhelmed by grief. So I get this tension, and it is a tension, and it should be a tension. I've experienced great joy. I love my Savior. I want to come and praise Him. But I'm broken. Broken because of my own sin and the brokenness I see around me. So when mature believers come to worship, they recognize first and foremost their unworthiness. Like Isaiah the prophet who in Isaiah 6 cried out as he's in before the throne of God, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm dirty. I'm sinful. And this is the attitude of brokenness and unworthiness that should be modeled in our time of prayer. If we really understand our condition before the Lord, it is reflected in our humility before him in our prayer life. Paul, who we would say is probably, right, we look at Paul and say that, other than Christ, Paul is the standard. Look at what he did. Here is the man who has been redeemed, broken over his own sin, and Paul still says in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Why? Because he understands his sin. He understands what's in the heart. The heart. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Who can understand it? The heart. And when it comes to prayer, it seems to me, this is all, by the way, this is all introduction. It seems to me, it seems to me that confession is probably the most neglected part of our corporate worship. And yet, confession and repentance are the mark of a true Christian. They are. 
There's nothing more that will quench our communion with God in prayer than ignoring or cherishing sin in our hearts. Which, which is terrifying because you get up here to preach a sermon like this and you sit there and you go, wait a minute, my heart. God, is there anything that I need to confess? Thoughts, words, actions? Lord, make me a pure vessel. I want to know you. Why is it that confession seems so rare when Christians pray? And I can only say it's probably because of our pride. I believe that that's the resistance. Our flesh, in admitting wrong and guilt, is resistant. So what do we do? We blame our circumstances and we blame others. We shift. We are blame shifters. Instead of saying, I'm the sinner. It's my sin. I need to own it. God, forgive me. Forgive me. And what does it mean to confess? Here it is. Confession is basically our acknowledging, us acknowledging our sins before God and to others. It is the admittance of, our, of the sinfulness of our sin. We read in James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So here's the admonition to confess to one another so that our, because of our sins so that we can be restored to God so that we can know Him more and bring about healing in our hearts and our lives. It could maybe be physical healing. And Jesus says what in, in Matthew 6.12, Forgive us our what debts. Forgive us, Lord as we have forgiven others. You see, what's fascinating to me, brothers and sisters, is that you and I, if we are here this morning and we claim to be a Christian, is that the fact that we are saved is... uh, In that that reality, it's this. I have been forgiven. Yes? Do you believe that? I've been justified. And if that is the reality of my life, then guess what? The reality of my life says, therefore, because I know how much God hates sin and what he's rescued me from, I want to be continually done with that. I want to confess. I want to model that. And I don't do it well. You know why I don't? Because when I get irritated with the kids... I don't immediately go, I am so sorry, Lord, for doing that. You know what I do? Well, they may be upset. Yes? I don't do it well. Driving on the interstate? Somebody cut you off? How do you respond? We don't want to admit that, right? Maybe we need to confess. Right? Think about this. Lord, my heart, my anger, my anger wells up within me. Lord, there's the sin in my life. That's what you died for. That's what you rescued me from. And so, as we look at this this morning, I want us to look at Psalm 32 and look at what confession is. 
And my daughter, I think, this morning is timing me. I said, I may call you out, Megan. She's timing me. She knows. Dad, we've got to go to lunch. Um, okay, so here it is. Psalm 32. Open your Bibles. She knows I'll pick on her, so. She, she asked for the phone and the timer. That's why I'm picking on her. Okay, Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Open your Bibles, and let's stand together as we read this. Psalm 32. A mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against the, and who, whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For, night, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we look at this psalm, I pray that you would do a work in all of our hearts, that we might see you and we might see our sin for what it is. Lord, I pray that this, this morning that God, you would give your speaker clarity and you would give your listeners the ear to hear. We thank you for this time and we pray that your hand of blessing would be upon it. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So you're all familiar with Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a record of David's repentance after he was confronted by Nathan for his sin with Bathsheba. And Psalm 52 is probably in connection to that, but it was probably a little bit later on because it's after David had experienced God's discipline and forgiveness. And he writes this, and the term mascal can mean teaching. It's a teaching psalm. And what it is is a teaching of what does it look like to be Forgiven. What does it look like to confess sin and to experience that forgiveness? And I'm going to break this psalm into kind of three points. There's some structure to it. There's different ways in which you can divide that structure. I'm not going to spend, we're not going to look at every verse here, but I want to give a bigger view, and we're going to break it into two, three parts. First of all is the blessing of forgiveness. The second part is the testimony of confession. And the third part is the advice of the forgiven. Okay. So if you're, we don't have these on the board, so I'll do those again. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm, I go a little fast here. So the blessing of forgiven, verses, verses 1 and 2, the blessing of forgiveness. Verses 3 through 5, the testimony of confession. And then verses 6 through 11 is the advice of the forgiven. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start in the middle. Because I want to look at, first of all, what is it about the testimony of confession that is important to us. And then what I'm going to do is end up in verses 1 and 2. 
Because one and two is really, the start of it, is this is what it is to be blessed. Yes? So what we're going to do is we look at verses 3 through 5, and here's what it says. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, God, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, in the first two verses, three and four, we see two things, I think, here. Number one, unconfessed sin is misery for the Christian. Unconfessed sin is misery for the Christian. Think about what David's saying. He's reflecting on his own heart. He's looking at it and going, I am absolutely miserable. Why? Because he refused to confess. He's silent about his sin. He's hiding it. And God knows. And in in the text, he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. What's going on? Internally, he is racked with guilt. He knows he has done wrong. I can only imagine if he's reflecting on his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba, how deeply troubled he felt. He knew he had done wrong. Why do we know that? Because David is a man after God's own heart. David knows God. And he has committed a horrific sin. And he's miserable. There's no peace. There's no peace. As one pastor suggested, sin made him dirty and he wanted to be clean. Guilt had made him sick and he wanted to be well disobedience had made him lonely and he wanted to be reconciled to God. Rebellion had made him fearful and he wanted to be pardoned by God. Here is a man after God's own heart who tried to hide his sin from others. And God in his Can I say this? And God in his mercy and grace does not allow David to stay in that condition. He made him miserable. David, it's the conscience, right? David, the Holy Spirit, you know what you've done. You know how you've sinned. And David said, I was miserable. Why? He tells us in the text, God's hand of judgment. His hand was what? Heavy upon me. And he said, I had no strength. How often have we felt conviction of sin in our lives, but refused, refused to acknowledge the sin before God or others? You maybe even had people who come to you. Nathan, right? Nathan comes. Hey, let me tell you a story. At the end of that story, you remember it? You're the man. You're the man. The feeling of guilt, 
and shame. Yes, shame. Can't believe I've done that. That sin was just, why did I do that? And we don't want anybody to know. Brothers and sisters, in this congregation, there should be people who you know love you deeply, who will not, when you go to them to confess, throw accusations. They won't. The elders here, we will not. Why? We want to see you restored. We want you to have a clean conscience. A conscience that allows you to approach God with joy. Why? Because you know that sin is dealt with and you are forgiven. There's nothing more freeing. There's nothing more freeing. Sin weighs us down. It keeps us from loving and worshiping and magnifying God. David described it as his bones wasted away. His strength is dried up. Why? Because sin affects us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. James Boyce writes, When we sin, we wish God would ignore our transgression. Don't look at it, God. But God can ignore sin, and he will not. He brings pressure upon us, often very acute pressure, until we acknowledge the sin, confess it, and return to him. Praise be to God. Conviction of sin and the resulting misery is an act of God's kindness and mercy toward us. It is. When God convicts and he convicts us, you should be grateful. You should be grateful. Thank you, Lord, for that conviction. I confess it. I repent. And I turn to you. Confession and repentance are evidence of saving grace in a person's life. I say it again. Confession and repentance are evidences of your saving faith. Which would mean what? God made me more sensitive to my sin so that when the conscience or the conviction comes by the power of your spirit, I will what? Confess immediately and turn. Second thing is not only does it make it miserable, but unconfessed sin robs us of our joy in the Lord. I wonder sometimes... You, if we're finding more joy in the things after church than in church, what's going on in our lives? Here's why. As one author says, sin destroys joy. It offers deceptive delight, but it kills in the end. It kills in the end. Now, the tendency is we can do one of two things. We can t- I think our tendency is the one. One is to make, it, make light of our sin, and the other one is to do what? Be overwhelmed by it. Right? It can be crushing. But I want to suggest this. I want to suggest in our culture, we tend to make light of our sin. Here's the reason. Entertainment makes light of sin all the time. And we're immersed in it. I'm just, I don't know about you. Instagram, Facebook, 
I don't know all the, okay, uh, TikTok, I don't know. There's a bunch of movies. And we sit there and we bathe in that. Listen, listen for just a second. I know you're going to just laugh. Oh, you legalist, you legalist. No, no. Because you bathe in that all the time and you look at it and you go, huh, what's the big deal? I'm not doing that sin. That's our tendency. And, and think about this right now. We are so driven by the constant bombardment of entertainment that something like this is, I'm guessing right now, some of you going, oh man, this is heavy. Because there's so much chipper things that we're doing. David did not make light of his sin. Instead, he felt the pressure of his guilt. And when he confesses, what we find out is his response in verse 11. Look what happens. Because he goes from blessed of the transgression, and then he talks about in the middle part of his acknowledging his sin. But then look what he says, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, O righteous, and, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Why? Because David has gone from the reflection of his sin to confessing it to forgiveness that leads to what? Joy in the Lord. That's, that's it. I, I wonder, this is, this is just a, a practical application. I wonder what Saturday nights look for you in terms of preparing your heart for this morning to worship God. Because I think the tendency is to go, you know what, Saturday night, I don't know, what do you, what do, you do? No one's going to answer that, I know. It's rhetorical. It's like, okay. What do you do to prepare your heart? What do you do? Because if you're filling your mind with the things of the world, how is it that you can find delight in God who oftentimes thinks those things are not productive or helpful or maybe even sinful? So when we talk about prayer, what are we saying? I'm exchanging God's will. I'm exchanging my will for God's will. So that he gets the glory and I experience the greatest joy. And what is God's will when we sin? God's will is to what? To confess. And say, I don't want that. I want to come to church. I want to know you. I want to be in your word in a way I'm not distracted so that I know you better so that I can rejoice in you. So what is... The remedy. Well, we're told in verse 5. What does David say? Here we go. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. So what's the first thing? Number one, if you want to experience joy in the Lord, if you want to know what it is to know God, we regularly confess sin. Acknowledge and confess our guilt to the Lord. David's response to God's conviction is acknowledging his sin before God. Look, I acknowledge my sin to you. This is the act of confession. By the way, David took full responsibility. Psalm 51. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David doesn't soften it. Actually, the word evil is pretty hard. Yes? He doesn't sit there and go, against you, Elon, I have a sin, and I, I did what was wrong. Oops. What does David use? It's translated evil. I've done what is evil in your sight. 
And then the question becomes, well, wait, 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 David, you, didn't you sin against Uriah and Bathsheba? Answer, yes. But what is David most concerned about? His relationship with God. That's what he's concerned about. Because of the holiness of God, and he wants to be right before God. His primary guilt is before God. The only way we can even know what guilt is or sin is because of God. And instead of hiding and seeking to cover it up, David uncovers it by acknowledging it, and he accepts complete responsibility. He confesses. Brothers and sisters, did you know that there is a false repentance? There is a godly repentance. And the godly repentance is one in which we say, I've sinned against God. I have dishonored his name. But there is a false repentance that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 7.10 where he said, for godly grief, for godly grief. Now here's the lament, okay, the lament. The godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Now I, I, I don't want to spend too much time here, but I want you to think. First of all, true repentance, there is within that a, a sorrow. There's grief. There is lament. Am I tracking on that? I, I don't believe that I, at some length, it doesn't necessarily need to be expressed hourly because I know some of you are fairly, might be, I don't know if the word stoic would work, but you know, have a conversation and, and you just don't know what's going on. But I will say this, is that if there's true repentance, there's within the heart a brokenness and an internal sorrow over the sin. Okay? Whereas worldly grief produces death. And the second is, if, if godly grief is that which we've broken in our relationship with Christ and we've hurt his name, brought reproach on his name, then worldly grief is not that we sinned against Christ, but instead we've hurt ourselves. That's where we tend with our kids, right? We're working with our kids in their heart. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. They get caught. Doesn't go so well. What are they concerned about? Me. But as those who have been born again, what are we concerned about? Oh, Lord. <laughs> Who cares about me? I've hurt you. And it tells us that worldly grief here, this idea of worldly grief, it, it is one that produces death. Which means what? It's not true confession or repentance. And God is not pleased with it. Worldly grief leads to one for one to become embitter, embittered and depressed. I'm amazed at David, right? Why? David, David's forgiveness is astounding, but there were consequences that he had to live with. The first consequence was what? His son would die. The, the son that was conceived, Bathsheba, was going to die. And the second one was, the sword will never depart from your house. That's where Absalom comes in later. And here's what I want you to think about. This is where, please hear me on this. 
This is where lament is so important. Here's why. Because the decisions of our lives, and in this room there's all kinds of backgrounds, so I don't even know where you are on this or what's happened in your life. But true sorrow over sin, true godly grief, looks at it and goes, okay, I know what Christ has done to forgive. But don't you realize the trail of devastation my sin has left? My lust, my addiction, my destroying an individual because of whatever it was, and the destruction that is there. David, here, David knows this, the boy is going to die, right? The baby's going to die. And he knows the sword's never going to depart from his house. But what does he do? He still finds joy in the Lord. Why? Because ultimately that is all he has. Knowing that what? In a broken world, all I can do is lament and say, I'm sorry I caused that. And you don't live in it. Why? Why why wouldn't you want to live in it? Because you'll never get toward what? Knowing and rejoicing in Christ if you keep yourself in the regret area of not dealing with it. So you have to go to the Lord. But the lament is still there, yes? Why? Because I know my condition. I know my condition. And I know what I've done. And it's painful. It is painful. I'm guessing in this room there are plenty of people who can look back and go, oh, man, I wish I'd never done that. And what's the hope? Christ, that's it. Christ. Christ is our hope. He is the one who cleans the slate, who makes us new. And that's what David rejoices in. And the the promise is what? When we confess, what happens? God forgives. I said I will confess my transgressions, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 1 John 1, 9. Everybody knows it, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Thank you. Oh, which means what? There are things that, there's things that we don't even confess because we don't even know about. There are things that we every day do that we don't even realize how we've, we've reproached the name of God. And yet when, we, when he reveals to it, we confess those. And what does God do? He goes, I've taken it all, all of it. Praise be to God, right? So what's the advice of the forgiven? I'll go quickly on this. Here's the advice of the, the forgiven in verse 6. Look at 6 and 8. Verse 6, Therefore let everyone who is godly, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Who are the godly? Who are the godly? The godly are those who know Christ. So he's admonishing, he's exhorting those who are in Christ, those who are godly, seek him. Offer your prayer to him. Confess to him. David does that, right? Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The godly individual feels disgusted with those sins and the heart, anger and irritability, laziness, dishonesty, a judgmental spirit. Struggle. Don't let 
your heart, deceiving, deceive you into thinking these sins are not repulsive before God. Confess it. And he says, look, don't be like the un- everyone who is un- Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you in a time when you may be found. When, when, when can God be found? Tell me, when can God be found? The answer actually is, I believe, is found in Psalm 34, 18. And Psalm 34, 18 says this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Did you hear that? Amen. You remember what James says? Draw near to God and he will what? So think about this in terms of drawing near to God in terms of confession. I come to, before God and I say, God, I am a sinner. Here's what I've done. Please help me. Forgive me. And what does God do? God honors that by drawing near to those who are broken in spirit. That's what he, he, he delights in that. Why? Because humility is at the heart of every Christian. should be. Blessed are the broken in spirit, for theirs is, is the kingdom of what? Heaven. The broken in spirit are the ones whom God delights in. Those are the ones whom God wants to see. Humility and brokenness before God. So what does he tell us? He says, don't be like a mule. Farm animal, like this. This is my only illustration, by the way. So David gives it to me. Look at verse 8. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will what? It won't stay near to you. What is he saying? (laughs) Well, he's saying this. A mule is often regarded as stubborn. I I never had a mule. I did have a horse, and she was stubborn. Here we see God's warning of a stubborn heart that refuses, this is modeling, that refuses to confess. God promises to instruct and teach us in the way we should go, but often we become stiff-necked and resistant, and he says, don't do that. Why? Because God's going to have to put that bridle in. You don't want to put that bridle in. Why? Because that bridle, he may lead you through the bridle of suffering to bring you to repentance. Repent. Turn back to him. And then we conclude with what? Verses 1 and 2. We do this, we respond in a way that's pleasing to God. Confess our sins to him. We look at verses 1 and 2 and then 11. Blessed is the one in whom, in whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is what? Covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the reality for all who would confess their sin. There is, brothers and sisters, no greater joy than to know that God has covered your sins and then forgiven them. I can imagine David just cherishing that fact as he reflected on his own sin. God's wrath had now been removed. God's wrath wasn't upon him. And he was able to rejoice in the Lord. 
Unless we fear sin and its consequences more profoundly, we will not prize God's forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, we need to be a people who regularly confess. And I'm wondering, is it because we don't understand the nature of sin? And bring this back in as we close. Please hear me. Why do we lament? Because the brokenness of the world around us. Well, why is it broken? It's broken because of our sin. There will never be a government that can save anyone. There will be never a system in this earth as we know it that can rescue us. But there is one who is coming again. And he will restore and make all things right. He is the one who is able to forgive. He is the one who is able to give us a clean heart. Jesus Christ. And our hope and confidence is in that. When we recognize my sin is horrific, I need, I need his forgiveness. And he promises those who are broken in spirit will experience that forgiveness. Let's pray. Almighty and merciful Father, we are thankful that your mercy is higher than the heavens, wider than our wanderings, and deeper than all of our sin. Father, Forgive our careless attitudes toward your purposes. Forgive us for how we've treated others. For envy. For pleasure. Our indifferences to the treasures of heaven. Our neglect of your wise and gracious law. Lord, help us this morning to see and understand what our sin is and how great and glorious a God we serve who forgives. Help us to change our way of life so that we might desire what is good, to love what you love and to do what you command. Father, we need your help this morning. Help us to be a people who confess our sins. I ask this in Jesus Christ. Precious and holy name, amen.
There may be some here in this room who are heavy laden, who are weighed down with guilt, but they know you and they want to be free again of that burden. I pray, Lord, that this morning they would confess and turn back to you. And that reminder is that it's because we're almost home. We're almost there. We will see you. Those who are in Christ will see you face to face. Lord, all the trials, all the struggles will be nothing compared to the wonder and the beauty and the glory that we will experience in your presence. And I pray for this congregation, for all of us, Lord, that we would keep pressing onward, looking for the day when we will see you face to face. Lord, be with us as we go our separate ways, and may you be glorified and exalted in and through our lives. In Christ's name.